Well, I want to welcome everyone again. It is a pleasure to be with you, even if we're not with each other face to face. I want to take us this morning to one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Acts chapter 9. It's the story of the conversion of Saul, later known as Paul. Will you read along with me in Acts chapter 9? We're going to read the first 19 verses. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Paul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Sarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for Saul. Lord, thank you for getting Saul's attention. Father, thank you for this time when we can come together around your throne. I pray, Lord God, that as we worship you, that you would open up our hearts and transform us. Father, I pray that you would use this one that would preach your gospel. Lord, that I would not say anything that is not from you. Lord, that you would transform all of our lives and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, this has got to be one of the most exciting uh, stories in all of Scripture. It's a true story, the true account of the conversion of Saul. I've I've got to ask you, as I think about Saul and his uh, conversion, is there anybody that you can think of that in your mind you're thinking, there's no way on earth they would ever become a believer in Jesus Christ? Real question, think about it. Is there anybody that you can think of in your family, in your community, in your workplace, wherever, and you think there's no way that they will ever become a believer in Jesus Christ. 
Anybody? I remember a day a few decades ago when I walked into a Bible study, and on the other side of the room, I saw a friend of mine named Daniel. I hadn't seen Daniel in a few years, but immediately in my mind, I thought, what's Daniel doing here? Last time I saw him, he wasn't a Christian. And then I thought to myself in the same moment, and the last time he saw you, you weren't a Christian. And the last time you were together, neither one of you were up to anything that was worth writing to your mother about. Here you are both in the same room. And we were both in the same room, worshiping the same Christ. We have both become believers. And he might have thought the same thing about me. There's no way on earth that God is ever going to reach Spitler with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet he did. I want us to unpack the story of how Saul becomes a believer in Christ. And I think as we go along, what we're going to understand is that no one, no one is beyond the reach of the power of God. Saul is on his way to Damascus. Now, Damascus was a, was a town uh, not too far away, 100 miles or so away from, from Jerusalem. Saul's on his way there to arrest those that are believers in Jesus Christ. He has letters from the chief priests in Jerusalem that he can take to the synagogues in Damascus and, and have authority there to arrest anyone, men or women, that are following Jesus, take them back to Jerusalem bound in chains to be arrested maybe even to be killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. This is who Saul was. He was an evil man, an evil man that turned far away from Jesus Christ. And yet as he's walking along the road, he's nearing Damascus, and there's a boom, a flash of light that just that makes him fall to the ground. It's so bright, it surprises him, it blinds him, it sends him to his knees and to his face on the ground. He doesn't know what's going on. But he knows something powerful. He doesn't know who it is, but he knows it's not just an accident. Whatever's going on in this light, there is authority. There's someone who, who he will look at and call Lord. Who are you, Lord? Is the question that he asks. And it's not the Lord of saying, uh, Who are you, sir? Or who are you, wise person? Or even, who are you, teacher? Listen, there's no one on earth that Saul fears. No one on earth that Saul fears except God. Who are you, Lord? He recognizes that this, if this isn't God, it's somebody an, awfully lot, an awful lot like God. Who are you, Lord? It's all happening quickly. It's not too different from Moses' encounter with a burning bush. Back in Exodus in chapter 3. Let me take you there for a moment. In Exodus 3, uh, Moses, is, Moses sees um, a flame uh, that's burning in a bush, but it's not consuming the bush. And then in verse 4, or verse 3, Moses says, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And God calls out to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am, which is an awful lot like what Ananias says on down in this passage. Ananias cries out the Lord, and, and Ananias respond, responds, here I am, Lord. Moses says, here I am, Lord. And he goes on in verse, verse 6. 
God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know of their suffering. In this place, in Exodus 3, God knows of the suffering of his people in Egypt. And he is calling Moses to go and deliver them. And Moses on down says, well, okay, if I go, who am I going to say is, is sending me? What is his name? In verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Saul says it to this blinding light, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. There are a lot of others that would have been named Jesus during that day and time. But, but God makes it clear in this place that it is this Jesus that Saul has been, been persecuting. I am Jesus. Jesus has all of Saul's attention, doesn't he? I'm wondering what God has to do to get your attention, to get my attention. The reality is that we, we take our attention off God when things are going really well. We just do. That's our, that's our tendency. I do it, and so do you. And sometimes God has to go to these links, to, to a place of great blindness or suffering, some sort of tragedy or some sort of hard time to regain our attention and cause us to look back to Him. What does God have to do to get your attention? In this place, He's saying to Saul, I'm the one that you're persecuting. You think about that for a moment. Was Saul really persecuting Jesus? Or was he persecuting Christians? It's one and the same. You see, to persecute a Christian is to persecute Jesus Christ. We belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to us. To persecute Christians is to persecute Jesus. Well, is that something that just happened then, or does it still happen today? Well, it still happens today. Now, a lot of what we might call persecution really isn't persecution. It might be a hard thing in your life. It might be a tough day. But I think persecution is something different. Persecution is what happens in a village in China when the authorities come in and they tear down the house church and they arrest those that are there, especially the pastors, and they throw them into prison. Sometimes they beat them to a pulp. Sometimes they kill them. That's persecution. Persecution is what happened last month in a village in Uganda, a village full of Christians, where uh, raiders came into the village uh, with guns and machetes, and they killed all the men and women in the church or in in the in the village, uh, tore the church to pieces. Uh, that that's persecution, for Jesus's name's sake. That's different. Persecution does still happen today, but it's not as often as you might think, or it's not in some of the things that you and I might call persecution in the Western world. What's important to understand, though is that when the Christian hurts, Jesus hurts. When you hurt, Jesus hurts. When you suffer, 
Jesus suffers. When there's pain in your soul, there's pain in Jesus. So when, when Jesus looks at Saul and he says, the one you're, you know, he communicates to Saul, those that you're persecuting, means that you're persecuting me. I am that one. Jesus is jealously passionate for his people. So jealously passionate that he gave up his life for you and for me. Jesus is meeting Saul on the road to Damascus and he's calling Saul to a great task. Saul has no part in it. He has no say-so in it. He has no choice in it. He has no input in it. He has none. Look with me at verse 6 in chapter 9 of Acts. In verse 5, start with verse 5. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. Jesus doesn't say, how are you doing, Saul? He doesn't say, what do you want to do next, Saul? He doesn't go to any further introduction. Saul knows who is in front of him. Jesus looks at Saul and says, but do this. I'm the one you've been persecuting, but. That word but there means a huge, significant transition is taking place in the story. Saul, your life is different. I'm the one you've been persecuting, but you rise and you go to this city, and you'll be told what you are to do there. Well, Saul can't get up and go anywhere. He has to have somebody lead him by the hand because he is still, he's still blind. They lead him by the hand, and he goes into the city. Uh, he doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. God brings to him someone named Ananias. Uh, Ananias. Ananias is going to give, uh, is going to hear from God what God's plan is for Saul in a big picture way. Not the day-to-day thing, but, but the big picture way. And it's God's choice, God's plan. Look in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul has had no input into that plan. That's all of Jesus. Jesus has not only given uh, the, the plan to, um, to Saul, he's given a plan to, to Ananias. We'll open that up in a moment. The, the, this plan for, for Saul includes the proclamation of the name of Jesus Christ. It also includes suffering for my name. Now, we, we have to catch this, Okay. It's real easy for us at this point to think Saul's going to suffer because he has made other Christians suffer. Just like he did this to them, others are going to do this to him. We would be wrong in in thinking that. What's clear here is that Saul is going to suffer for my name's sake, for the sake of my name. Not because he did this or did that. Saul has forgiven that. He's forgiven. Jesus has paid the debt for his sin. But, rise and enter the city, but you're my chosen instrument. But you're going to suffer. It's a new day for Saul. He will suffer because of his faith in Jesus Christ and because he proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. Sin can certainly bring suffering into our lives, but that's not the kind of suffering 
that Jesus is talking about here with, with Saul. It's not because of his past sin. I think a question that you and I have to ask, ask ourselves in our own lives is whether or not suffering ever happens to us, to you, to me, because we claim the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the kind of suffering that we often claim here in America, like, well, I can't pray in schools anymore, I can't pray in the public place anymore. Sure you can. No one has ever stopped anybody from praying. You can pray silently if you have to pray silently, but I promise you God can hear you. That's not being persecuted. We're talking about a different kind of persecuting, a, a, a persecution, a different type of suffering. Have we gotten so far from that in our own lives? Have we become so adept at being culturally good, but Jesus neutral, that we are no threat to Satan at all? Have we become so adept at being culturally good, but Jesus neutral, that we are no threat to Satan at all? Bonhoeffer, my friends, Bonhoeffer said that when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. I think we will die for Christ in our minds, but we won't even live for him here in reality on earth. I struggle with that. And so do you. When Saul acknowledges that Jesus is Lord, he's acknowledging that Jesus has authority over him and that he's in a place of submission to Jesus Christ. That's what it means when we call him Lord, Curios. If Jesus is Lord, it involves us also then asking him, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? In this case, that question... Is, is assumed Saul never even goes to the trouble to ask it. Jesus is telling him what he's going to do. I wonder about these friends that took Saul into Damascus, the friends that were on the trip with him that were going to arrest others and take them to, uh, back to Jerusalem bound. I wonder if they became Christians or if they carried on with their, their journey at that point. The Lord has an intended direction, a plan for Paul, Saul, and for Ananias. Let's look at Ananias. For Ananias, this plan of God involves, involves danger. Uh, the Lord calls out to Ananias. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. It's basically the same thing as saying, what do you want me to do, Lord? You're the boss. What do you want me to do? And God, God tells him um, to go to, to, to Saul. Go to the street called Straight, the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's a praying, and he's seen in a vision that you're coming. Ananias objects to this. Lord, Lord, I've heard many, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints. Your saints, God. Ananias is reminding God of this as if God has forgotten. Jesus, you've got saints in Jerusalem, and this guy, he's done evil to your people. And you're saying you want me to go talk to him? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's like telling a mouse, hey, why don't you go have some fun with a cat? Or telling a villager in Uganda, hey, I want you to go to those raiders that have just killed your family. 
it's understandable that Ananias would have some objections at this point, right? For both of these men, for, for Saul and for Ananias, this Lord's, the Lord's plan involved the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it involved faith. Are you going to believe me? Are you going to believe the good news? It also involved a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ for the people. For American Christians, including likely most of us, uh, we substitute our plan for his. Uh, we take the parts that we like, and we put aside the parts that we don't like. We might die for our country, but we hesitate to even live for Jesus Christ. Even though our time in our country at most is going to be 100 years or so, and our time with Christ is forever. And still, still we make that substitution. It's basketball season now. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example from basketball. I know there's this game called hockey that people play up north with this little puck and people running around on ice skates. I think if God meant people to, to be on ice skates, he would have given them different feet. It, it, I don't understand the game. But here, I do understand basketball, okay? In basketball, I know that the object of the game is to score more points than the other team, to get the ball through the hoop more than the other team gets the ball through the hoop. Uh, and you get different points for a different, you know, one point for a foul shot, two for this, and three points if you're behind the three-point line, whatever. Imagine you get two basketball teams on the court, and, and they're doing a great job of dribbling. They're doing behind-the-back passes, uh, through-the-leg passes. You know, they're twirling the ball on their finger. They're doing bounce passes, dribbling like crazy. You know, dribbling all over the court, putting on a show that would have made the Harlem Globetrotters envious, okay? A lot of dribbling going on. But nobody's scoring any points. Nobody's even taking shots at the basket. Are they playing basketball? No. They might call themselves basketball players, but they're not playing basketball. We do the same thing with Christianity. We claim to be Christians, but friends, we're, we're, we're not playing Christianity. We claim to be disciples of Christ, but we stop short quite often when that discipleship reaches our level of comfort. When we're no longer comfortable, we quit playing the game of Christianity. And this game of Christianity is really not a game at all, is it? It's life. God calls us to something deeper. And all of this comes under the category of, Lord, is he Lord or is he not? If he's Lord, then we belong to him. If he's Lord then he's got the right, the right to ask us for our life. He has the right to ask us for our future, to request of us our days, our attitudes, to ask us to change our worldviews. He has the right to ask us for our possessions. He has a right to us because he's, well, he's paid for us if he's Lord. And he is Lord not just because we call him Lord, not just because we might have been saved. He is Lord because he is Lord. Whether Saul ever comes to Christ or not, Christ is still Lord. And whether you follow him or I follow him, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King, the Master. He is God. By his grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he does all that he does on our behalf. Let me give you an example that might help us understand what it means to be purchased by grace. 
I have a, a 2015 Ram 2500 uh, heavy-duty 6.4-liter Hemi four-door. That thing will pull a house. It's an awesome truck. I like my truck. My truck has a lot of benefits. I enjoy a lot of benefits because of my truck. It, it, it's a great truck. I walk into the dealership. I give the dealership money. The dealership gives me a key. I give them money. They give me the truck, right? There's a transaction that's taking place. I give them something. I pay for it. And then I have the benefit of owning my truck. Think about this in relation to Christianity. What are the benefits of being a Christian? Well, you get life. You get life eternal. You get reconciliation between you and God. The wall of sin is gone. You're no longer under the power and the guilt of sin. It's been removed. You have fellowship with the Creator, the one that, that made you, the one that hung the stars in space, the, the one that, that built the universe, the galaxies, the one that made it all. You get fellowship with that Creator. You get to sit at a banquet table with Jesus Christ forever. You get to know what it is to be loved with an intimate, everlasting, unconditional love. Your feelings of, of pain are replaced with feelings of pleasure of knowing Him. You no longer have to fear retribution from God because someone else has taken it. You have all of these benefits, the most amazing benefits. How much did you pay for them? How much did you pay for those benefits, those amazing benefits of, of being a believer in Jesus Christ? You pay nothing, right? They're free, right? They're free. They're free to you. They're free to me. But they're not free. Somebody paid for that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody paid the price for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Free to you, but it's not free. Somebody paid the price, and that would be Jesus Christ. That's grace. It's free to you. The benefits of a relationship with Christ, free to you. But someone paid for that. You and I are no more deserving of that free eternal life, that, that grace. You and I are no more deserving of that or no less deserving of that than Saul. Evil Saul. We're no more deserving of that than Saul. In fact, if you grew up in a home, a, a Christian home, where you've never known a day that you aren't worshiping God, my friends, you are still no more deserving of that relationship with Jesus Christ than was Saul. No more. Is anybody beyond the reach of Jesus Christ? Is anybody? That's grace. If you're a Christian, you have life, you have breath, you have eternal life. Grace makes you His then. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ because he's purchased you. God made you his. God made you. Psalm 139, Genesis 1, John 1. God made you. God saved you from your sin. Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sustains you. It's all of God. Romans 8, 29, 30. It's all of God from beginning to end, from 
the time God first foreknew you, predestined you, to the time you're glorified and standing before him in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's all of him. That's grace. You belong to him, and he belongs to you. I love the scene where Ananias walks in to Saul, and he lays his hands on Saul's head, and he calls him Brother Saul. My friends, this transaction has already been completed. Before Saul has said a word in agreement, Ananias says, Brother Saul, he's claiming him as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. Saul couldn't earn him and didn't deserve him, and neither can we and neither do we. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then he's yours. And not when, well, not if, but when. When your faith wavers, he's not going to let you go. You still belong to him, and he still belongs to you. Romans 7, Saul, later Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, cries out, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I want to do, I, I can't do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even Saul, even Saul continued to sin beyond that. My friends, no one is beyond God's reach. No one. Who in your world, your space, would you be surprised or amazed if they became Christian, who would it amaze you if you looked up one day and they were across the room in a Bible study with you, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ? Is anything too difficult for God? I want to ask you something here. When you think of all those that might be too, too impossible for Jesus Christ to reach, would you put yourself in that group? Or are there different classes where those people, there's no way they can come to Christ, but I can. My friends, we're all in the same boat. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. Last week, I asked you to, to I gave you two words I wanted you to think about. Uh, prayer for people and, and place. Okay, so prayer and place. I ask you to pray for five people by name that weren't yet believers in Jesus Christ. If you don't know their names, maybe just pray for the person in the White House. But ask you to start praying for five. That God would give you opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them uh, and to, to build a relationship with them. And then place. Begin to go to their place. Go to where they are. If there's a block party, go to the block party. If it's a Super Bowl party, go to the Super Bowl party. Listen, I've seen a couple of people come to know Jesus Christ at Super Bowl parties that I've been to. It's a beautiful thing. Go to where people are. Go to their place. Let me give you a third word for this week, okay? Possible. Nothing is impossible. Those that you think are impossible, that are beyond the reach of Jesus Christ, I want you to know it's possible. I've seen it. Every time I look in the mirror, I see that nothing is impossible. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. Not even me. Not even you, not even the person you thought of a few moments ago. You join me in prayer. Father, we come to you even now. And Lord, I want to pray uh, for those whose names we have thought of. 
And, and Lord, I just, for all those that are, that are listening, that are praying with me, Lord, we lift all those names up to you. And we pray that the day will come when they also name the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord. When they look to you and they say, here I am, Lord. I pray you would make that happen. Father, I pray that you give us opportunities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with those individuals. Father, just as you, you take Saul, even here in Damascus, in this passage, and you take him to the place where he is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the synagogue in the next passage. How beautiful. Father, move in us so that we do the same thing, so that we name the name of Jesus Christ and we proclaim Jesus to those that we come in contact with. Father, help us to see that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. Father, thank you for this passage this morning. Lord, as you did with Saul, if there's any here that have not yet met you, I pray that that changes even today. Lord, that you would get their attention, that you would grab a hold of their heart, and by your grace you would make them yours, and you would become theirs for your glory and for their good. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.